Hi, everyone. Welcome to AbbeyCast. I'm Amy Weston, your host. I use she, her pronouns, and you can find me on Twitter at DeepSpaceAmy. My guest today is Wilson, and I'm going to kick it over to Wilson for for introductions. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Wilson Hood. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I am a graduate student at uh, Harvard Divinity School, um, which is where I met the lovely Amy, who asked me to be on her podcast. Um, And I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't really have a Twitter presence worth mentioning. I think I have a Twitter account. It probably hasn't been updated since like the mid Obama administration. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but thanks for having me. So the, the 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 big guiding question of this of this podcast is is what is spiritual practice and what is prayer, um, and 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 what does it look like for 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 all the different people who who engage in it. Uh, so the big question I al- so the question I always start with then is what does your spiritual practice look like? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, independent of kind of any sort of you know spiritual exercise or any kind of particular practice that I adopt at any given time, for me, spiritual practice is primarily just about showing up. So realizing that there are those moments when I feel God's presence like very um, intimately and sort of in my breath almost in the room. But there's also a lot of times when I don't feel that Um, and showing up anyway. So I guess the the follow up, the obvious follow up is that is what does showing up look like? Um, I mean, like, and you can answer in, in a spiritual sense or theological sense, but also, like, I want to know what showing up looks like in, like, a real physical embodiment sense. Sure. So I grew up in a Baptist tradition, um, so we didn't have a lot of the kind of um, material sort of grounding um, items or elements that other um, sort of roots in the Christian family have. Um, So like I didn't grow up with iconography in my home. I didn't grow up with like an dedicated altar space in my home. But these are things that I have cultivated in my own practice. Um, And for me, there is the usage that those elements get in the moment when I'm praying and sort of interacting with them in my practice. But almost separate from and even more importantly beyond those things, the physicality of them serves as a reminder, right? So every morning when I wake up, I look over and I see my little altar space in my room. And in that way, I feel it kind of holding me accountable to at least show up. And there's a physical space in which I can show up. Um, Obviously, I don't understand my spiritual practice to be limited to that space, But by nature of kind of its sheer physicality and the space it takes up in my actual day-to-day life, um, it forces me to confront it and it forces me to interact in some way and to hold myself accountable for those interactions. Yeah, no, I mean, totally. Like, um, I, in my room, I have an altar space also. um, And, like, my altar space is... It's sort of a like a spiritual space, like broadly defined. I have icons of Mary, and and I have a, a prayer card of Saint Francis of Assisi, but also like a statue of Guan Yin and an incense burner, and and just like yeah. So I so it's this space that I can enter into, um, 
no matter what spiritual draw I'm feeling. Um, and I think I, 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 lo- I love that. And I think that like that having having spaces is really important. Absolutely. What is it that leads you from growing up in a Baptist household with with no iconography and 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 all of that to to being drawn to these these explicitly spiritual spaces mm-hmm. um what does that journey look like so it's funny i was actually i was kind of discussing this a little bit with um one of a uh, professor that you and i share here um, i was in his office hours last week and he identifies um as anglican and he's a practicing um episcopal priest and um, we were, t- I, we were talking a little bit about a recent retreat I went on with the brothers of the Society of St. John the Evangelist in Harvard Square. And, um, I was telling him a little bit about, you know, my experience in the daily offices and kind of what that meant and the physicality of that space, right? So like the smell of the incense and the rising and falling and the speaking together of, of the liturgy. And, um, he, he flagged for me and I had never really put this together until he mentioned it, but he said, you know, for folks who have felt excluded or um, marginalized for some kind of bodily experience in a spiritual space or in any space, um, the unique attention to the body and the unique attention to physicality that certain manifestations of Christian spirituality adopt can be very liberating. Um, and I found that to be very resonant with my experience. Um, so as I mentioned, I grew up in a Baptist church um, in small town North Carolina. We were not Southern Baptist. Uh, we were part of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, which is kind of a center center right, um, smaller Baptist subdenomination. Um, I was a preacher's kid, so I was very, very active in the life of the church, uh, sat on the front pew every Sunday, sang in the choir, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I was very, very invested in the life of that faith community from an early age and really kind of saw a future for myself doing the work that I saw my mom doing, um, who she was a minister of youth and families in the church. Um, But I kind of came against um, a lot of resistance sort of internally uh, when I was in middle school as I was growing aware of my own um, sexual orientation and kind of trying to make sense and give a name to this kind of burgeoning queerness that I felt like trickling in. Um, My home church actually split over the issue of LGBT inclusion. So this was like right at the tail end of the Bush administration when marriage equality had become like the end all be all of public debate, essentially, particularly in uh, like mainline Protestant spaces. And um, my mom preached a sermon from the pulpit, um, kind of voicing her support for LGBT folk. And uh, we also had a queer couple in our church that wanted to be on the docket to serve communion. And both of those things combined with some other factors kind of led to the church breaking apart. And watching that sort of drawn out, verbally violent Um, really emotionally kind of abusive scenario unfold really alienated me from any form of Christian practice for years. And um, I think uh, this, this professor that I talked to was right in the sense that when I engage 
with Christianity, with God in embodied ways. I feel those parts of myself that didn't feel at home in the pews in that Baptist church getting invited back in. So I think that is part of the reason why the physicality of the altar, the physicality of the, the smell of the incense, the physicality of iconography, right? I mean, the actual visual depiction of bodies and the spiritual practice of finding God in renderings of bodies. Um, those things are very, very profound for me and very useful for me. When I think about embodiment and like, I guess the way that the way that bodies exist during prayer and interact with prayer, um, the thing that always that always bubbles up to the front of my mind is the question of transformation, right? Because I think that for a lot of us, the reason why we keep coming back to this is that we somehow feel touched by it or changed by it, um, by being in these spaces, by doing these practices. Um, and so I'm, I guess I'm wondering if, if you feel like you are somehow transformed by, by um, embodied prayer. I love that question. So on the one level, I think particularly when I'm kind of connecting with the spirit, um, my body, I find that my body sometimes registers that connection before my consciousness does. So I was, I was actually, I was in the car with a good friend a couple of weeks ago and we were just talking about Christian stuff. And, um, she was saying that, you know, when she feels the presence of spirit, uh, she very much feels it in a very physical way. So she, mm-hmm. she said in particular, she feels it kind of in her, um, like in her spine and kind of like trickling down her back. Um, and she said it in the most sort of like, please don't think I'm crazy, but kind of voice. And it was so funny because the, the only way I can describe the sound I made was I sounded like a pterodactyl straight out of Jurassic <laughs> Park. Like I just like screeched in this like Mazda in front of my house on a rainy night. Um, and I was like, I feel it in my shoulder blades. Um, so there was this great moment of kind of uh, mutual recognition. But yeah, so on the one hand, like I do feel that sense of um, kind of immediate transformation of sensation um, and a recognition of presence that I, I, in a lot of ways my body leads and then my mind just kind of follows. But I, I feel that before I even register necessarily what's happening. Um I'm also really touched by your question because I'm sort of in my own constantly developing theology. Um, I'm really interested in this question of attention, right? So where is our attention in any given moment? To what or whom is it being directed? And how does the direction of that attention sort of inform the choices we make in any given day, um, ethically, politically, spiritually, what have you? Um And for me, part of why I really resonated with that question was the transformation is bodily, but it's also a transformation of attention and a transformation of intention. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I choose to pay attention to my body through these practices that call attention back to my body again, um, and when I experience God through the vehicle of my body, I become aware 
of the presence of God's love that I, you know, God wasn't going anywhere. I just wasn't seeing God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these practices call me back to that and call me back to if I'm going to experience God, it's going to be through my body. Because guess what? A body's what I've got. I mean, and I was I would say to go farther, like a body is not only what we have, but it's what we are. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I just want to mention, um, yeah, so during this retreat, right, um, I was I the brothers administered Eucharist, um, and I had never heard the liturgical phrase behold what you are in reference to the elements. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um that is just not something that I grew up with. Um and that yeah, so I think that so resonates. Oh my gosh, amazing. Uh I'd love to talk a little bit about about call with you. Like for me one of the for me one of the powerful things about about being called to ministry is having this opportunity to not only like transform oneself through the through the practice of prayer but also um trans like dramatically transform the spaces that one is in 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 our conversation before we started this interview um you you had mentioned this feeling of call and i'm wondering what that means to you and how that's different than a feeling of presence heart you know easy question right yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think um so in my experience Presence is sort of, I guess, more immediate, right? So presence is kind of that very embodied awareness I get of God kind of always already being in my midst. Mm -hmm. Call is more about how am I going to, what choices am I going to make and how am I going to hold space for God to make God's presence known in my future. Um, And that can be in the next five minutes or that can be in the next 20 years. Um, So obviously that includes questions of vocation, includes questions of just kind of, you know, where am I spending my time? But I also don't think it's limited to a vocational question. And I think actually uh, the sort of way that the word call has become synonymous with, well, are you going to divinity school or not? Has is That's not necessarily as helpful as I yeah, think yeah. Um, the concept of call could be. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, in my experience... Um, call has always been something that has I have kind of begrudgingly assented to. I am not one of those people that I think, and I really envy those people who really both have a sense of call and the kind of like, you know, first to jump in the swimming hole kind of um, gumption to hop right in. I am very much like, you know, if call was following God down a long hallway, then there are like nail marks on either side where I'm being dragged and sort of like grumpy about the whole process and kind of just want to be left alone, to be honest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, like sometimes I really do just, you know, want to only focus on like eating chips and catching up on black mirror. But unfortunately, you know, there's, there's these, there's these things that I can't I can't avoid as much as I would like to um call is scary call is confusing call is big but for me it's helpful when I'm facing those questions um to remember that call is not the same thing as presence but call is intimately woven in presence and at the end of the day 
for me, call is about how am I helping other people? And frankly, in that process, helping myself um, pay attention to the presence of God all around them and within them. Um, and how does that desire to do that impact the choices I make on a daily basis? That's That was really beautiful. Um, when you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to pray now, right? What does that look like? Yeah. What do you do? Like, is it a regular thing? Is it something that's just spontaneous? Yeah. Um, um, I really like that that question about prayer, because for me, I think prayer happens in both spaces. Like it does happen in a more regimented kind of, um, you know, I am going to sit down and pray kind of way. But also I find prayers just kind of like bubbling up. And I think um, those two sort of broad paths for encountering God are kind of mutually reinforcing, if that makes sense. Um, So for me, um, part of that showing up is making space where no matter how intimate or distant God feels in any given on any given day, on any given morning, um, I try to be intentional about I am going to devote the next 10, 15 minutes, whatever you know chunk of time I have to just being in God's presence. Just saying to God, I'm here. Um, I'm here and I'm listening. Um, So for me, um, that's been really useful. One practice that I've also started adopting, um, so I think a lot of folks are familiar with kind of the examine model, um, like the Ignatian spiritual exercises. So that's sort of a reflective prayer practice done at the end of the day where you kind of run through the events of the day and um, sort of pay attention to where God is manifesting God's self in those moments. I've actually found kind of a retooling, and I, I don't remember where it's from. It was given to me by one of the brothers on retreat, but it's um, kind of a variation on examine to be done before the day begins. So it's an anticipatory examine. So instead of, uh, you know, like praying the rosary or praying, my, I feel like I pray through my Google calendar. Like I take a look at what is scheduled for the day and anticipate God's presence in those moments. Um, and being in that anticipatory space versus that reflective space, I don't necessarily think it's better or worse, but I have found that very useful to kind of anchor my mornings. Um, so that's something I've been doing recently. But, you know, as I've, especially in the past couple of years, as prayer has become an increasingly important part of kind of that regimented part of my life, the spontaneous prayer keeps bubbling up. And I keep kind of laughing at myself at how... Um, you know, my spreadsheets and my calendars and all the little, like, little things I do to keep my life organized, how often God just kind of dismisses those things and says, nah, you know, you're gonna, like, <laughs> like the spirit knocks and, like, yeah, there's not really much you can do. So I, I have a story, actually, yesterday, I've been, I've been listening to an audiobook um, by a Christian writer, and she was uh, writing about the Holy Spirit. I was listening to it on my walk, and um, she's very sort of biblically grounded and very kind of like, you know, making all of these analogies and all of this like, you know, high-level theology stuff. And, you know, I'm focusing very intently on it and trying to be like, you know, basically take mental notes like Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, <laughs> metaphor of a bird. Yes. Metaphor of a wild goose. Yes. Check, check, check. Like, I'll, I'll be ready for the pop quiz. And then I'm walking and all of a sudden I look up and this just giant flock of pigeons like flies in front of my face. And it felt like this moment of just like, put the pencil down for five seconds. Glory. 
and realize that it's really not that complicated. I mean, it is, and it's worth interrogating and worth exploring, but also it's just a flock of birds flying in your face while you're walking to work. And I, I've, I keep laughing at myself about that moment because I find it so useful. Uh, so as much as I think showing up is important and it, it's important to anchor our practice in making space for God, it's also important to note that God shows up too. And God shows up in ways that are often inconvenient, often surprising, and honestly, often hilarious. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Abbeycast. The podcast is produced by me, Amy Weston. The music that we used in this week's episode is a mass for four voices by composer William Byrd, performed by the ensemble Morales. We used several parts of the mass. We used the Kyrie, the Sanctus, and the Benedictus. It was wonderful having you here in the Abbey once again, and we hope to see you again soon. Mm-hmm.